You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. An apology from the Comedian's Comedian podcast. Last week on the Dara O'Brien episode, Stuart Goldsmith referred to an amusing visual joke that, uh, a sort of prank, if you will, uh, that he claimed was the work of Lloyd Langford. It has since come to Stuart Goldsmith's attention that this was actually the work of Ed Gamble, who supported Greg Davies on tour and used to frame out Greg's head when taking pictures of Greg with fans. Ed Gamble has got in touch via text message and made it clear in capital letters that it was his joke. So please strike from your mind the idea that Lloyd Langford came up with this amusing little prankette and instead remember it was Ed Gamble. Ed Gamble. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is Nazim Hussain, a brilliant comic who uh, I managed to grab while he was at the Soho Theatre in London and uh, we had a lovely little chat in his apartment that the Soho Theatre was laying on for him. I don't know how that works. Maybe he was renting it from them. Don't know. But either way, as you can hear, there are some sound issues because it was a bit of a building site next door. I don't think they'll interfere too badly with the, the, the meat of the show. Uh, we move at one point and you'll probably hear an odd little pop uh, as, uh, as the acoustic completely changes. Uh, but nonetheless, really, really pleased to speak to Nazim. Such a nice guy. He does, um, he does the, uh, he's the other half of Fear of a Brown Planet with Amar Rahman. Uh, who I interviewed some 40 or 30 or 40 episodes ago, something like that. Um, fabulous comic in his own right. Really, really great show uh, that I saw the, the previous night in Soho. And um, and as you'll hear, has got some very interesting... I mean, what a, what a key kind of member of the Muslim community... In, uh, in Australia and Young Australian of the Year, or was it Young Australian or Young Muslim of the Year? I'm not sure. But he, you know, accolades and like a, like a proper, compared to how most comics that I know get into this job as a result of just kind of dropping out of a regular society, he's done completely the other way around. He's like a really useful member of society and he's become a comic on top of that. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy this. This is the lovely and very, very funny Nazim Hussain. 
So tell me about um, tell me about your show at Soho. So we're, we're, we on? we're on. We're on. <laughs> show at Soho. Uh, so this is my first solo run uh, in London or anywhere outside of Australia. Actually, um, well, I did Belgium and Paris, but it's been it's been heaps of fun. Um, to be honest, super nervous because I know I just ah, Soho Theatre just a standard like the sorts of acts that they have on are just. Just awesome, like people, comedians that I'm kind of fans of. Like, yeah. So being there on stage uh, as myself, like not hiding behind a duo, not hiding behind Fear of Brown Planet, uh, is was intimidating actually. But I, I felt, I've, it's only taken like I think last night I felt re- like comfortable. Just I don't know. It sounds I'm like I'm a super insecure guy, but I just yeah, it's just it's just something about London. Just London is a big city, big. It's just, a, it's just an intimidating city in my brain. Psychologically, yeah. Psychologically, yeah. So it's the last night. I, I think psychologically I felt in the groove. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's because I was a little bit sick as well for Monday and Tuesday. I just wasn't really mentally all there on stage. You were phenomenally relaxed when I saw you on Tuesday. I was like, I, I couldn't tell that there was a psychological really? barrier there for you because <laughs> I was like, this is great. He's just sort of ambling out on stage yeah. and like... Hey, no, but you know what? You know what? Like that's so you came to see. I asked you when you came to this apartment that about which night did you come? Um, and you said Tuesday, and I was like, oh, that's that's that shit night where I was a little shit. <laughs> but the thing is, like when I was doing those jokes on Tuesday, um, there were times when I heard myself and I thought I've never done it at this tone before because I'm normally yelling or yes. just like super animated. So it was like the the um, being a little bit sick kind of did a. Or alter my performance but I think people probably thought well no one would have known any different they would have thought that yes. he's, he just performs casually like that but yeah no, a bit, so are you I'm normally more an intense I've seen some of your YouTube videos I've seen a couple of bits yeah. from the show the drinking yeah. after work drinks bit which is obviously like a yeah. signature bit of yours and it's a, was on, on YouTube it's a little bit there's a bit more you're there's attacking the mountain a bit more I you know? often see my own spit flying into the spotlight so yes I didn't see much of that on Tuesday uh, you know when my friends or other comedians imitate me doing stand up they're always just like yeah they just yell a lot because well, I have to say, like, having not <laughs> seen much of you, I've only seen a couple of YouTube clips, and yeah. I'm, I'm aware I don't of much of my stand-up on YouTube. But, that's, uh, but yeah. yeah, it's all yelly. Yeah, there's, I, I think um, uh, because I see you in the same frame as Armour, as uh, Armour <laughs> Man from uh, from Fear of a Blam, Brown Planet, <laughs> yes. you did together, and he's been on the show. And I saw him at Soho, had a conversation mm-hmm. with him. Um, I suppose, like the way he frames himself is yeah. like his his big publicity shot that he's used both times <laughs> now is like the microphone that's a hand grenade. And it's like, yeah, I'm spitting we truth. Were, that's right. We, we do, actually had that photo shoot together. But yeah, go on. Okay, that go was, on. Well, what no, was no, your? It was with T- Tony Briggs. He's a guy that so he did the photo. For, well, he took the photo of my current poster photo, which is me in a floral shirt with a floral wallpaper background. Yes, um, which was just like it's not very hand grenadey. <laughs> to be honest, I don't even know what it said or what it. It's just we just. Got, he said, "I've got this funny shirt." And uh, why don't you wear it? And then maybe we could Photoshop that. And I just thought, oh, I'll wear it. Mucked around with a couple of facial expressions. Then we did it. And then of all the other ones, which I had planned, which was just me doing goofy, funny comedy phase, yeah. um, that one obviously was the most striking and stood out. And in a way, I think it kind of it kind of um, captures maybe my style of comedy. You know, it's just a little bit silly, a little bit colourful, but you know, um, just. I don't know. Uh, I've got I've got a few things I need to get off my chest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. That's what it is. Okay, so just go into that a bit more because I think that's interesting. I think I, once in a blue moon, I'll have a I'll have a shoot and I'll go. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at, or that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. So so what is that? So well, just I, mean, to, we didn't, to, I didn't think about it at the time. Sure. But when we were going through photos 
for this we were for for the, for, the, for this you know Melbourne Comedy Festival for Adelaide and for Sydney whatever and for, for London, we were going through all the photos and, and I think um, well that stood out the most but it also kind of well it's, I I think it's a little bit different to to, to, to most usual comedy yes. places but I think it kind of says a little bit about who I am like it's um you know ah. Uh, well, compared to Armour, anyway, like we both yeah. kind of have similar political views, almost, you know. Um, but but I think mine's a little bit more sugar coated. It's it's easier to di- to digest. Yes. Um, and uh, that photo kind of, I think, it's less kind of combative. It's in, less, in less approach. combative. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, oh, he's he's a nice guy that hates white people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Armour says, no, I'm not. I'm not very happy, and I'm and I'm here to kill white people. Yes. <laughs> or encourage that. But you know, it's um. Yeah, we have we have very different styles, but I think that 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 photo really got it. And, and, and Armour's one was like you know with the grenade. But when, when when I think Tony started taking those photos and Armour holding the microphone with the grenade, like it looked he looked properly angry. And mm-hmm. um, Tony had to say, "Listen, just you know you gotta." We want people to come to the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he got, he got the right balance because Armour is a funny, goofy guy. He's yeah. actually like off stage. He's he's the most silly. Yes, childish guy all the time. He loves he's a, he's a kid. He loves comic books. Yeah, we'd, yeah. We'd walk past a, a you know just a, a comic book shop or you know, and he just stay there and just look at stupid figurines for ages. I make fun of his collection, but you know, so he that photo I think really kind of got got that goofiness as well in there too. Like in his facial expression, he looks like a bit of a kid. And what was it about the ones that you? Because I've never I've never really talked about photos on this show before. And it's interesting <laughs> because I suppose we're all in kind of it's, pre-Edinburgh mode at the moment. Yeah, Those well, of British oh. comics are like, well, we've just had this conversation. We've just <laughs> we've just signed off on it and the rest of it. What what is it about the ones that you turned down yeah. that you thought didn't represent you? Yeah. Well, I think it's just like, hey, just just pure funny guy with comedy hands. You know, the hands that are just kind of like what? Um, that just says I'm just a, I'm just yeah, I'm just I just got some funny things to say. Like, uh, well, uh, whereas I think uh, I wanted to have a little bit of an edge, something that was uh, yeah. everybody does though. But it's just it's what it's, it's there's no real science to it in my opinion. I think it, there's no real no real science to it. I think it's kind yes. of accidental okay. coming across the right photo. And you know, you could take ten photos wearing the same outfit, and one facial expression might be like. It might stand out and yeah. pierce through. And These I think, days, I just want—I just want to get the photographer to just hold down the button. So just <laughs> click, click, click. I'm just going to do a load of faces, and yeah. we will trust that one in a thousand of them yeah, well, sums, sums me sums, sums me up, but, or, or at least you know I don't what? hate. But you know what? I don't actually. We were talking about. This. I don't even know what posters do, to be honest, because you either recognise someone's face or you don't. I don't know how many people go. That's a funny poster. Mm. I'm going to see that guy. I don't know, and I hope. I hope that's not too cynical. Um, because I know a lot of people spend a lot of time, we all spend time. Yeah. But I think, I think part of the reason we all spend time on it is it's one yeah. of the very few things we can control. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? That is like, true. Imagine if you could spend all the time that you want to spend on your poster. <laughs> imagine if you could spend that time on vetting the audience. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly right. Well, that's true. So I guess that's what we do. We, we hold on to the poster design and the font's too big or the price is too small. And, you know, so it's all... Sure. So, so this is your your first time in Soho. First time, in, well, I've Are done you, Soho with Armour as part of Fear of Brown Planet. Yes, um, that was a few years ago. And your relationship with Armour, I was uh, remembering from our conversation, uh, me and him. Yeah, is you're very intertwined. Like your your kind of genesis as comics was <laughs> very much like you were both in the same. Like you met. Well, Where we, did you meet? We kind of met doing community work. Actually, we sort of met. Yeah, so I was doing community work in the Muslim community for, for a fairly, fairly long time. I used to I used to study at a madrasa, so like a Muslim Saturday or Sunday school. Um, and then once you finish studying, you then go into to, to, to a sort of teaching position. And then you just sort of help out at camps and community events okay. and quiz nights. And I used to be the guy that used to just 
when the projector breaks down, I'll be up on stage and just, you know, just keep people entertained or <laughs> listening and just make jokes about the fat guy in the crowd and the, the old imam. And, you know, I didn't really have any boundaries. Yeah, <laughs> and so I'd make the Muslim community laugh. You know, I was that silly, clowny guy. And then um, one time... I think you get killed in the movie, don't you? But that kind of just progressed. I just kept doing that. And then whenever I became the go-to guy, the go-to MC in the community, if there was a, a boring mosque fundraiser, I'd be the guy. And people would actually... And I, I, I remember the first time I got flown across or to Sydney to host like some Muslim community fundraiser or awards and I, I felt like I was a proper celebrity and I, you know so I flew there and I emceed and I did my jokes about getting caught making wudu which is the wash that Muslims do before they pray by, yeah. by a non-Muslim co-worker and you know it was, that was my, my first kind of bit you know and people would laugh and we had like a seven minute setup before the like the small payoff but you know it's um, a, I mean, that is incredibly niche it, it really incredibly so, like, niche. has anyone else had that I mean I can't imagine Armour at the time was doing observational stuff about well so then what happened yeah, then, then Allah Made Me Funny came out so there, there are these three Muslim comedians in, in the United States um, who I never I only heard of someone sent me a link online and I remember listening to their comedy and it was about the Muslim experience it was kind of about what I was doing at community functions but they actually were doing it as proper stand up and they were touring it it was a show and it was slick and I literally memorised the entire hour of comedy there was three of them uh, at the time and uh, they were coming out to Australia and they were like my favourite comedians on the planet at the time and they they were looking for a local MC or just a local they were like who's a local com- the Muslim comedian there was no Muslim comedians it was just me doing the you know the, the, the you know the stuff when the projector breaks and the, the jokes about getting caught by a non-Muslim co-worker washing your feet in the sink um, so they said do you want to do it and I said oh, hell yeah and it was at a proper theatre with 1500 people and I've never properly performed so I went on stage and didn't know what to do I just started telling these stories Stories with no, I never practiced them. I just sort of just told them, riffed them off the, yeah. and they were okay. Like, but I thought I was hilarious because you know I'd get the usual kind of laughs. But then I saw those guys perform and properly rip it. Okay, um, Azhar, you were on, you were on before them. I was on before In, them. Okay, okay. So you didn't yeah. have to follow any like follow, the pro guys. But like lots of people knew who I was. They're like, oh, it's Nazim, the yes. guy from the local mosque or the madrasa. Um, and then uh, so I do the jokes, and then you know, then they came on, and afterwards they were like, yeah, young Nazim. Um, you know, there's actually a science and a, and a method to writing comedy. You don't just sort of get up and just just, just try and be funny. Like with, you have, with the best will in the world, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is a real thing. And, I, and they, they, literally, they literally sat me down and kind of spoke me, talked to me through, took me about how comedy is written and how it's practiced. And how, you know, oh my god! Comedy. Like so, it was, it was almost it was eye opening for me. And, and I'm a, a that is, I would say that is the almost the exact opposite of most comedians birth of a comedian I think certainly the reason I'm doing this show is yeah. because I spent 10 years as a comic not knowing what it was I did or you know literally no one had ever sat down this is my attempt to sit down with people and go so how do you do it and you got that after gig number one well, you know what? they sat you down you know, in the green said, room they just said listen mate well basically what they said was they said you've just you've actually got to think what I walked away with was that oh you've got to think about what you're going to say before you get on stage you can't just sort of go oh I'll tell that there's a funny story about this and a funny story like you've actually got to think about how you set it up and present okay. it um, and so I'm an and I just hung around with these guys for ages and then we decided after that we were going to... Well, myself, Armour, and this guy, Waleed Ali, who now is a television presenter for kind of news program in Australia, we thought we'd do an hour for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival because we'd seen these guys and we thought, man, you know, uh, we can do it too, like mm-hmm. in Australia. Um, so we called up the Melbourne Comedy Festival. We said we would like to book 
a room to do the comedy festival. Um, can we do that, please? And they said, oh, have you done stand-up before? And they said, and we said, no, we haven't done stand-up, but, you know, we want to do an hour. And they said, you should maybe try this, this open mic competition called Raw Comedy. And uh, so I, I said, what's that? And they said, you just got to do five minutes. And I said, five minutes? Man, I've I, I got several stories I can tell. And so I, when I said she did my five minutes, it was pretty average. But I made it through a few rounds. I'm a... Uh, decided to, to do to do the same thing and yeah that actually taught us how to properly write then I guess okay you know so you were there like presumably backstage at the first time you did Raw so yeah, well, you, you were there going well I just my last gig yeah, was 1500 people, people. <laughs> and, uh, got, got about three laughs um, so I just thought you know but then the audience was Muslim and non-Muslim so it was kind of it was, it was a different experience uh, okay, because okay. it wasn't just making my community laugh anymore it was community people and we, we packed the pub out with Muslim women wearing hijabs and guys with beards and just it was a really it was a weird oh for your for your raw gig for the raw gig yeah okay and then there were like you know non-Muslim white people drinking beer and alcohol and as soon as I finished my set <laughs> the pub would just clear of all these all these Muslims would just leave um, so it was yeah it was it, that taught me I guess that was kind of a quick learning curve to how to Okay, and then you ended up uh, going on with Armour and uh, doing the Fear of a Brown Planet tour. So that was yeah. uh, what? How long was it after so, the so, Raw experience? So maybe like until six, you got the six hour. months. Six months. So you rang up. You rang Melbourne back up again. Okay, well, I've, well, done, we've done I've done five minutes. We've done five minutes. <laughs> Come on, give us the hour. So we, we uh, so we did the Fringe Festival at the end of the year. So we, so we did okay. that in April, and then we did the Fringe in like September, and then that's sold out pretty quickly um, because of community word of mouth and I think people were, were merely interested in also the idea yes. of Muslims doing stand-up comedy talking about politics and race relations yeah, absolutely no one was doing it so it, no one was doing it so people weren't convinced necessarily of how funny we were but they but it they was were certainly going to be culturally interesting to yeah, go it was interesting. see it you're going to get in every you're going to get interviewed presumably everywhere well, yeah, the coverage I mean, is going to be enormous we genuinely didn't anticipate that we had no idea we just thought Oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this, you know, like like Allah made me funny, and we just thought, but we didn't think it would, we would we would get in a, a, a radio interview or, or or a newspaper interview. But all of a sudden, we had people asking us to do interviews, so it it just came out of nowhere. Looking back on the the quality of that show yeah. now, oh, God, do you, oh okay, well, you might have answered my question <laughs> because I would like if I was your manager at yeah, the time, yeah. and I don't know what your kind yeah. of management representation issues were. I'd be going, oh, guys, yeah. we've got something here. This could be huge. Yeah. Get really good first and yeah. then drop it and well, all the rest had, of it. We but would, you just barreled straight in six months in. Oh, there's three of us. We dropped... Well, we didn't drop it. The guy had... Uh, one of the, the other... The third guy, Muhammad Lace, a good friend of ours. He ended up doing other stuff. He's a community okay. worker now. But the three of us, we kind of had... We kind of had like a tight 20-ish each. Okay. And we sort of... We actually... For the, for the few days leading up to it, we stuck ourselves in this room and we just sort of rehearsed. We said material to each other and we just sort of tightened bits okay. up. And, um, it's then, so spunky. It's it was, so like it was, a bunch of young kind of, lads. Let's put on a I show know, right we, here. We've never done a gig in a pub or anything like outside of Raw. So it was just us cramming with each other. It was almost like an exam, and we were stressed out. We're like, guys, come on, we're gonna take a series. We're gonna show them. Um, so we did. We did the week of shows, and we sold that out. And then we did an extra big one in a three hundred seat room. That was the most exciting thing we'd ever done. And the, uh, on that show, like we had this a manager come, and we had like a television producer come, and then afterwards they both wanted to meet us, and they were like, you know, you guys are really great. We want to sign. So we signed up to this to a, to a manager who was our previous manager. He introduced us to our current manager, and things just sort of went from there. And then. You know, that's kind of how you understand how the industry starts to work and, yeah, you get to become familiar with other comedians. We didn't really know any other comedians at the time, like just famous guys. Like we we shared a a change in one night with Arj Barker and that was probably the first comedian we'd ever really met. We were were massive fans of him. 
Um, so, yeah. so did you did you miss out on a certain amount of comedy upbringing? Did you miss out on the kind of like the circuit, like turning up oh, at open spots, making it? friends amongst totally, the newer comedy? Totally. I mean, they, they must have been like, who are these fucking guys yeah, that well, are suddenly well, selling well, everywhere well, else? Like, you don't there, even know them. There was that, and the thing is, we kind of, so we, you know we'd sell out really quickly, and yeah, a lot of people that came were were Muslim, or they were brown, or they weren't necessarily, you know, they weren't white, or you know, they were anyone that kind of identified as being different mm-hmm. would come to the show, and that, that, yeah, they could be white, but they might be, you know, they might be gay, or they might be someone who's politically very left of center, and those sorts of people were coming to the show, and. Some of the comedians, who, who, who some of them now I'm good friends with, but you know at the time they would bitch behind our backs and say, "Oh, those guys, they just bring their friends, and their friends come over and over again." And it was it, the implication was that we aren't actually funny; we don't deserve that audience. Yeah. And look, yeah, I can understand where that comes from because a lot of people did have you know you have to sort of earn your stripes and and build an audience from scratch and prove and that audience represents how funny you are, I guess, in the eyes of lots of comedians. So, so we necessarily I. Th- I think we felt we had to prove ourselves on the same stage as other comedians. So we would then start to do pub spots or like gala. You know, just we would have to. Well, I think we we did sometimes do those sorts of spots to sort of show to the industry that we actually are funny. We can make we can make Muslims laugh. We can make non-Muslims laugh. We can make people laugh. We don't necessarily need to just make our community laugh. And then I think once people saw that, then they you know we sort of earned that respect. But it, it was wasn't the most pleasant introduction to the comedy industry. Sure, you know. So this is Nazim. Uh, thanks very much to Nazim for coming on the show, uh, for having me round. Also met his charming wife. Very, very lovely people. So uh, more from him in just a moment. Just a couple of things, really. There's probably still tickets left for Adam Buxton uh, on the 7th of July. You can go to SohoTheatre.com and enter the discount code FAFF. That's FAF. And you can... Um, I think that gets you 25% off your tickets. I think there are 10 of that drops into 750, or they might be lower, and it drops them lower still. I, I can't remember quite what we plugged for there. My bad. Uh, but go to SohoTheatre.com to, to hear me interview Adam Buxton, see me interview Adam Buxton live. So uh, that's all of that. I've got a bunch of previews. I've updated my gig list finally. You can go to stuartgoldsmith.co.uk and you can have a little look at my gig list. There's some videos and bits and bobs. They're all vastly out of date. That's the next part of the greater website up, uh, overhaul. Um, but uh, you can certainly see my gig list there, which has got some London uh, previews at London and and, uh, and other places. Um, and what else do I need to tell you? Yes, 7th of July. Do do come to myself and James Acaster uh, kicking off a day of previews at the Top Secret Comedy Club in Drury Lane in London. That's uh, www.thetopsecretcomedyclub.co.uk. Should have details. That's the 11th of July, uh, the day before my birthday. James is on at 1pm. I'm on at 2.30pm. And you can stick around for Omar Hamdi and Alfie Brown after that. Uh, I will probably do that, and but I will also be drinking. So I reserve the right to be on a speed boat by then um so uh, that's a little bit of birthday fun for me and uh, and a chance for you to come and see two excellent previews in an excellent excellent comedy club uh, for absolutely no money so come along and do that um that's all for now if you if you're into supporting the show you can always do that comedianscomedian.com press the paypal button there's a little donate button there uh, and you can decide what you think the show is worth to you do you think it's worth a pound an episode has it made that difference to your life if there was hey if there was a thing i was thinking someone should invent this it's not going to be me so have the idea but if there was part of the podcast app where as the podcast kind of pinged up on your screen a little one-off button that said, would you like to donate 20p? And you just press yes, no. You'd go no, you'd go no. And maybe on like the fifth ComCom pod, you go, yeah, I'll give him 20p. And just press the button. Imagine if it were that easy. But it's not that easy. So you need to make an effort. Um, but think about it. That would, that would what, 120 episodes? 
at 20p each? Why, that would be... I mean, you do the maths. It's more than 20 quid a slip. It's probably less than 35. Can't do it in my head. The point is, if you go to comedianscomedian.com, you can press the donate button and you can kick me a little something back to say thank you for doing the show and to pay me for some of the many, many hours that go into it to support the show. I'm going to be taking this show to LA Podfest, uh, which is uh, the podcast festival in September. It's, I'm sort of gate crashing, really, so this isn't an official announcement. I'm just going to turn up. I've booked a place in the hotel. I'm going to get a flight. Um, so uh, Mike Sheldon's podcast bursary from a few weeks ago, and that was enough to, to sort the hotel out. Now I've got to pay for the flights. Um, so if you fancy donating to the show, there has never been a better time. And uh, also join the Facebook group. You can have a look at the T-shirt options um, and help me decide my make my final decision for which merch we go with. Uh, I'm going to be selling some of that in Edinburgh and probably selling some of that in the um, uh, in in the internet. I'm going to sell the T-shirts in the internet. It's a podcast show. That's the best place for them. That's everything. I think that's everything. Yeah. Oh, and you can go to patreon.com forward slash comcompod. Uh, if you'd like to support via Patreon. But let's face it, no one knows what that is. I mean, noodle around, have a look at Patreon, P-R-T-R-E-O-N. There's some great stuff on there. It's sort of like Kickstarter for regular donations. Um, So patreon.com forward slash comcompod. And that's all we need to talk about for now. Thanks for listening. Here is the rest of my conversation with Nazim Hussain. So speaking as someone who obviously was, uh, we're talking about the community and the comedy mm. community, you came to comedy from the perspective of being in a religious community. Mm. How did they feel? How did, your, how did your mosque feel about you doing stand-up? Well, Presumably yeah. in clubs where alcohol is sold and well, at things the, like that. So at the same time, so alongside doing this stand-up thing for the first time, uh, myself and a bunch of friends who weren't, none of them were funny or comedy people, uh, we actually started a community television show. Um, so it was myself, uh, an eye surgeon, this older guy. There's another guy who's a son of a mufti who runs an Islamic books and clothing store. What's a, what's a uh, mufti? Oh, so a mufti's like a, a, a religious jurist, like someone who makes fatwas, basically. Okay. Islamic legal conclusions on issues. So okay. Anything from, yeah, so, but, but also a, a position of seniority in Australia. So we kind of created this position called the mufti of Australia, which means the, the highest religious figure. But it was kind of just this randomly made up thing just to sort of appease newspapers so that when they wanted an answer or something, we could go, oh, that guy is kind of the leader. So Okay. Um, so we, we, it's just a bunch of us, really. We were kind of annoyed with what we saw on TV about Muslims, so we thought, well, let's just create our own television show. <laughs> so we approached, um, there's this uh, channel called Channel 31, which I don't know if you guys have an equivalent, equivalent sort of community television sh- station here. But it's basically, it's just... Whenever it's, I think of community television, yeah. my only reference point is Wayne's World. Because <laughs> well, I don't have a, you know, right, as far right. as I know, there isn't an equivalent thing. In right. Well, it's kind of like it's this. You can have anything from this show that just shows fish swimming around in a tank for half an hour to like what we created, which was called Salam Cafe, which was just Muslims sitting on a panel talking about life. And then I would do this segment where I'd go out and vox pop people or do sort of okay. sketches. Um, so you know that that joke about putting getting caught washing my feet in the sink by a coworker that yes. became a sketch. We filmed that. In fact, I think some of these are still on YouTube. And I want to, I'm, I'm trying to contact the guy to take them <laughs> off because they're just properly amateur. But um, but yeah, we we sort of we did that show and that that reached actually the broadest 
well, it reached more Muslims than any of my community stand-up things ever did. Um, I think it was rating like, like 100,000 on community television, which was phenomenal in Australia, um, to the point that we won like community television awards and then um, that got then picked up onto one of the free-to-air networks, so one of five called SBS. So I was kind of used to receiving critical and complimentary feedback from the Muslim community. Uh, a lot of Muslims, a lot of older Muslims, you know, conservative Muslims, I guess, were... Uh, some of them were uncomfortable with the idea that we were, um, you know, freely um, uh, interacting with members of the opposite sex, um, you know, like uh, that, that, that there was, you know, so that, or, or that there was music on the show. Some people had, you know, perspectives. You know, some people believe that music isn't permissible in Islam. Like that's a very conservative opinion, but it is an opinion in the community. Um, also, I think older people, who, you know, who were used to watching Muslims on TV be ridiculed were not used to seeing Muslims on TV talk about their own experiences and laugh. So I think when they saw Muslims on TV joking and laughing about our own experiences, um, it's, it they makes felt them that, think oh, like the knee-jerk oh, reaction Muslims, is. Now yeah. Muslims are making fun of us. Yeah. And so we, we did get a lot of people saying, why are you making fun of the religion? And we were never making fun of the religion. In fact, we never spoke about religious life. We just spoke about life being Muslim in Australia. And in a way it was kind of... Yeah, it was propaganda, I guess, in a way. We were trying to tell broader Australia that we were normal people. It was that kind of – which was which is a, which is a bit of a sad premise that we sort of needed to humanise ourselves. But that was sort of the reality of life in Australia back in 2005 and six and seven and eight when we, when we did this show. So that was a Muslim community response. But the response from the broader non-Muslim community was, was crazy. Like you would think naturally people that watch an obscure station like Channel 31, this community – channel that they would kind of be open-minded but we had all sorts of emails and um and from people saying things like you know stop pretending that you're not that you're not violent terrorists because we know you are this is just an act or people would email inside i didn't know muslim women could could speak english and um we're gonna kill you like we had we got death threats so it was so by the time i was doing stand-up properly that was a, a couple of years later i was sort of used to just yeah hearing from people um, and you, you begin to understand what feedback is worthwhile listening to and what isn't. And, and also, like, I, I like the, the feedback from the Muslim community, even if it's critical. You know, even if people say, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, because it means that they feel invested in, in the show and they, and they see themselves kind of through you or they see that you are speaking on behalf of them, that you have a platform that you need to, mm-hmm. you need to use that properly. So it was almost like... This sounds weird, but it felt like it was like a, it was an honor to sort of, you know, to to know that people looked at you and said, "Oh, that's kind of he's one of our he's, he's our guy," or that show, you know, because they go to work and you know, see like cab drivers or like you know, just kids at school go to school and their friends would say, oh, "I saw that show, Salam Cafe," or they'd show their friends mm-hmm. like a funny Muslim clip, and it was something for them to feel proud about. So for me, it was almost like uh, this is a show that gave Muslims pride, um, and when it didn't, we knew about it, but. It kind of came from a good place ultimately. Yes. People wanted us to do better because it meant their lives would potentially be easier or they had something to show off about. You uh, you sound so kind of uh, positive, even finding like the positives in, <laughs> in negative comments about stuff. I mean, the, uh, see, that's a positive negative comment. When you get, co- you know, when you, even when you get comments from, from racists, like that's the right sort of hate. You know, when you get, when you get people saying, 
you're you know you're a terrorist. Like if you're pissing off that sort of person, you're That's probably the saying right the right sort, sort of, thing. of hate. You know, the right <laughs> sort of hate. How how optimistic are you? you know, how how unusual are you within <laughs> within the Muslim community in Australia? How, to what extent are you? Are there lots of other young Muslims who are who are considering a career in comedy? Well, there are there are other Muslim communities in Australia now. Like there's a guy by the name of Khalid Khalifullah. He's um he's a young comedian starting out. Um, there are a couple other guys. I guess, there's not, to be honest, there's not a whole bunch. There was a time when there was about five. <laughs> then, you know, it's just a difficult, it's a difficult It's an unusual circumstance. It's an unusual coincidence of circumstances, yeah. I suppose, that you're, that you, you, you know, that I suppose if you're the funny guy that gets up and covers yeah. at the madrasa, <laughs> then there's really only needs to be one guy. So yeah, no well, one else is going to get that. Look, it's not a big market. Australia, we, we have, we, the Muslim community is about 500,000, but you know, London's 10% Muslim. Like, it's a, it's a really tight community over there, so we sort of all know each other in a way. Like you, okay. you can, it's so it's it's not like here where it's almost just like broad. Like there is no Muslim community. The Muslims are just everywhere. So it's it's not like it's you're part of a club here so much. Sure. Whereas in Australia, you are part of. You feel like you're part of like this kind of okay. smaller club. Like it's okay. A, it's a community. It's a tighter community. Whereas here, it's just you know. To what to what extent do you think your optimism is? And I, we we won't spend all of our time yeah, yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about your faith, but it's it's very unusual <laughs> yeah, for me to you know I, the I, fact I, that you're a comic that yeah. talks about their faith is yeah. like I want to I want to ask all sorts of questions okay, about how your faith supports you. Like mm. you know, we all know comedians are just a yeah. bunch of basket cases. <laughs> you seem like a really happy, optimistic person who is using comedy to mm. make yourself happy yeah. and to educate people to, to, whereas a lot of comics that we know yeah. that we'll both know are kind of like wild-eyed loners trying to cure their own personal isolation <laughs> but and depression know, but it's kind of the same thing like the muslim community in australia is isolated and does feel depressed and for me the, the biggest joy i get out of doing any of this is seeing my community laugh like to be honest i feel emotional every time i even think about that but seeing like a community that is normally sad laugh that nothing literally makes me happier it's like it's a community that's used to being humiliated and yeah if i can be that guy that, so that's a that's a know, fascinating perspective like the it, it's almost like the the kid who learns to make people laugh at school to stop yeah. bullying them like yeah. you're seeing you're kind of drawing a parallel between that and the whole muslim community no, I'm, I'm not making the whole as in if 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 i'm if there are muslims in my community you know if i'm on stage and there are muslims in front of me who are laughing that makes me happy because we we don't have much to laugh about as a community, individually in our lives, obviously we do. But as a community, we don't have much to celebrate. Like you turn on the TV, like or you, whenever you hear a Muslim on TV, it's just it's we're getting smashed. We're getting like it's getting misrepresented. You know, you hear stories of Muslims just getting harassed in public. Um, mm. It's just it's not a happy place. People change their names in Australia from like Muhammad to Michael or Sama to Sam. Like it's not no one. You know, you, 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 if you say you're a Muslim in Australia, you know that someone's going to immediately think about terrorism or, or misogyny or, or something negative. So when we can kind of talk about these experiences and, and feel happy or feel empowered by these things that normally make us sad, that's that's great. Like, and that's for me, I feel like, well, this is now if I can do this as as a career, um, I feel happy, I feel satisfied, and I'm seeing people um, walk up, yeah, you know, escape for a little bit. I feel like in the last 10 years, I feel like it's become a running joke that Australians are racist in a way that it wasn't before that, in a way that it wasn't that, that, that wasn't a joke, that wasn't an accepted yeah. stereotype of the Australian people. And I'm not, I'm not kind of confor conforming yeah. or confirming that stereotype, but I feel like, mm. it, I suppose what I'm getting at is, is and I'm, mm. I'm using obviously mm. racism, as you yeah, said yeah. in the show, you know, when people go, oh, you know, this is my little loophole, it's actually <laughs> Islamophobic. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It isn't racism. Because it's not a race. But... Yeah, exactly, right. But, um, but let's, let's lump yeah. those ideas of racism and Islamophobia together as you've yeah, done yeah, in your yeah. show. Do you think Australia is getting worse? Do you think it's getting more racist? Oh, it's not getting better. Like, it's not getting better. Well, well I guess at the, the, the reality is the, uh, Australia is becoming more and more multicultural. Um, young people uh, are becoming... I think a lot of young people are becoming less convinced by what they hear in the media and by politicians and people, people of any influence. You know, they're, they're sort of tuning out and they're watching YouTube videos or they're reading articles online. Like, you can connect to the world and you can understand what the rest of the world is doing. So you understand how silly and backwards Australia is. But, yeah, I don't think things are getting better. Like, politicians are still trading on racism and bigotry and hysteria and, you know, our policies towards Indigenous Australians are just becoming more and more oppressive. The government's now trying to close down all you know, remote com- Aboriginal communities in Western Australia. And, uh, you know, that's happening without much in the way of that. Like, it's just, it's just hard with the Aristotle seeker policy. Like, well, I heard a, a columnist here talking about how the UK needs to, or Britain needs to become more Australian <laughs> with regards yeah. to how harsh uh, you guys are towards asylum seekers. Like, so yeah, Australia is becoming more and more conservative politically and um, just less and less things to celebrate, like, in terms of social policies anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the question whether is Australia a racist country, I don't know what that means. Does that mean that we have the, a majority of racist people or does it mean that all Australians are racist? I think what is important in that question or, or, or thinking about Australian racism is that there is a big problem of racism that never really gets addressed. Like when we talk about racism in Australia, the conversations tend to be by white people, like you see, you turn on TV and you sort of see panels of white people discussing what is or isn't racist. Mm. Um, you know that would never happen if you're talking about sexism. You'd never see a bunch of men talking about what is or isn't offensive to women. Like people would call that out. You know, similarly with homophobia or whatever. Like it just. But when it comes to racism, for whatever reason, we are just really defensive about it, and we're just not able to talk about it comfortably. Because I think in Australia, we think if we talk about racism, it means we have a problem with racism, and it just affirms i don't know i don't it's some just, sense of like you the average australian doesn't want to accept that it exists you need to accept it exists in order to talk about it is that what you mean yeah well i think you know what yeah perhaps i think so i think that's what it is i think if, if we talk about racism it means that we are all responsible and no one really it's, it is an uncomfortable thing to happen and that's why with any you know in the uk the us even in australia like that sort of the conversation needs to change and the way it will change is by non-white communities sort of standing up and making as much noise as they can and getting in the way of the way things normally run to 
to sort of force that conversation to the fore. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna happen because sympathetic white people are all of a sudden enlightened. You know, it's just that's not how you change that conversation. It needs to come. From is it any? It, and, but the thing is, the, 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 the funny thing is, in Australia, we've had like a you know our own civil rights movement. Uh, 50 years ago, like it's, but but we just forget all these yeah. things and it just, so, you know, when I'm here in the UK, I, I feel properly comfortable. Like, you know, you can be different, like to be British to me, it feels like you can be and look whatever you want to look mm-hmm. like. Whereas in Australia, it's just normatively white and you turn on the TV, it's all white people and it's just such a different place. I saw a poster on the way here for the Entourage movie. Oh, really? And it might as well, it's like the poster is five identical white guys in sunglasses. <laughs> That's so funny. I saw it, it might as well be called White Douchebags. Just, hey, like that. Well, you know what? I, I'm not familiar with the movie. The joke might be that they're douchebags. I've no idea. But you know? so that person would stand out here in the UK because the because London is so diverse. Um, and it's so diverse and people expect diversity because they expect to see themselves in movies and in television shows to the point that like, Neighbours, the only reason Neighbours actually had an Indian family on the season mm. for one season was because audiences in London were upset and they just kind of kept bombarding producers over there with that sort of feedback. So they put an Indian family in, which lasted one <laughs> season, and they kicked them out of the suburbs. I mean, they're out now. But, uh, like, I don't know if you... There was, a, there was a bit of a thing at the start of this year where... So the guy, Waleed Ali, he was he was a guy that worked on that show Salam Cafe with me. Uh, together we, you know, we... we We've done uh, some, some things here and there in the community, but he was sort of the Muslim spokesperson for a while. He was on the Islamic Council of Victoria. He uh, is a journalist, but now he's um, the host of this show called The Project, which is a big. I've of, heard of it. I yeah. don't. I've never seen it. I've heard that it's a massive show. Yeah, so it's a yeah. nightly news and current affairs program, but it's kind of like delivered lightly. And um, anyway, he was announced as a new host of the project, but they put my photo um, on the in the newspaper when they announced it, and it was um, it became a bit of a thing. But like, it just sort of shows like there are so few like uh, me. And and him are the only two brown people on Australian television. We'll get yes. to my show later, I guess, but we haven't mentioned that. But but they sort of made that mistake, which sort of just explains like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, it's just we just which is a different place, Australia. It just wouldn't happen here in the UK. Let's let's talk about the show, Legally Brown. Mm. Uh, I've only I've never seen an episode, I've seen some clips on YouTube mm-hmm. and it really made me laugh, oh, man. I saw the like the Uncle Sam uh, <laughs> character, and there's a lot of uh, so how much like the bits that I saw yeah. with the Uncle Sam character right. um, and trying to what was the which bit was it it was oh yeah trying to move all of the ta- all of the Tasmanians oh, all yes. of the all of the Muslim people to Tasmania right. and all of the non-Muslims in Tasmania <laughs> to Australia and you're going to rename it Islamania Islamania well it was, that's a character so, so I, the character was born out of the community television show Salam Cafe where I basically play like a Muslim uncle who I guess epitomizes every white non-Muslim sphere about Muslim men, you know, that, they're, that, they, that, they, that they look a certain way and that they, that they want to take over Australia. Uh, and Uncle Sam, you know, he's a prank character, so I go out in the street and I speak to white people yeah. about, about these ideas and sort of see how they react and sort of... I did notice on that episode, <laughs> lots of the white people you spoke, and presumably there were editing decisions yeah. made by you or whoever else yeah. was editing the programme, lots of the white people you spoke to yeah. were sort of going, no, I don't think we should do that. You can't, you can't move them, I mean, you can't so, do that. It was such... it was, not that it made it any less funny, but I was sort of expecting it to be like an expose of the, the Islamophobia of the, well, you know what? the Australian in the street. So when Uncle Sam was on community television, we got to, to, to really push it. Um, but when we, when we got onto SBS, they, they sort of wanted, you know, because I think... Showing racism on TV can be really uncomfortable for people mm. or showing Islamophobia. And so the network kind of wanted it to be 
you know, to sort of just to expose a little bit of that, but not too much. The idea was to move Muslims to Tasmania and to move and to sort of keep mainland Australia purely non-Muslim. But when, when I spoke to people on the street in that character, a lot of Australians actually, you know, they were obviously upset that, you know, we would be taking over a, a state. But <laughs> they thought, you know what, no, genuinely that's probably a good idea because at least then there's no threat of any terrorism because you get what you want, you've got your own state, you know, like we'll we'll concede Tasmania. So I thought that was hilarious. The premise I thought was funny and I thought, you know... And their reactions were funny and then then SPF said you can't can't show those reactions because it reflects Australians in too bad a light. Yeah, yeah, too bad a light and it kind of... And and, and what what good does that... What good is that? What's the point of that? It's sort of... it, It just... But what, it's what's like, the point of only showing the nice people? Well, well, I, you know, I, I think we had we had a lot of disagreements about the character, and I, I think the character can be read in a couple of different ways. Like, if people take the character seriously, that's funny because the character's so ridiculous and he's saying such stupid yes, things. How could you possibly? How take could you possibly take it seriously? But, um, but the, you know, um, but if you know, if if you show reasonable Australians reacting to like. It sort of goes the other way. It just like I had a there was a really conservative British party who posted an Uncle Sam clip and said, "Yes, this guy's finally funny," because they thought I was making fun of Islam, which which actually pissed me off because it kind of goes yeah. in the exact opposite direction. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it's I wasn't necessarily happy with editing decisions. Okay, <laughs> but, okay. Is yeah. that that show still running? Well, we did two seasons of Legally Brown, and now we're working on some other projects. So um, okay. that was like a mixed bag show. So I did sketch, um, hidden camera stuff. Yeah, I only really um, saw the the uh, saw that well, like bit the, and the I, stuff interacting. So is, is your pet racist? Which, right. Again, <laughs> very funny bit, like set up with you in a shirt and a focus yeah. group <laughs> with a whiteboard. You know, kind of going here. What is this like a spray? Well, it was basically, we we uh, so we had all sorts. Of, like basically, I was I was running a focus group and we had a bunch of people in there, and, and most of them were actors except for one person. And okay, we, you know, we'd be testing ridiculous products and we sort of want to see how <laughs> so everyone else was in on it apart know, from the one person apart from one person okay. so we want to see if, if that would go along with a stupid idea if the mob did and most of the time they did so you know one of the products was a de-bigotry pet medication um, and so like you know if your pet is racist um, you can spray this into your dog's face and then it you know um, and so we, we showed all these stupid statistics and and by the end, most people sort of accepted what was being presented because everybody else was putting their hand up when I said, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, or one which cured your gayness. Um, and uh, like, we proved that it worked by having a, an actor pretend she was, uh, you know, she was gay and then by the time she took this pill, she was straight. And so, like, I'm like, oh, really? I could give that to some of my friends. And I'm like, really? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a, he has a problem because he's, 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 he's homosexual. <laughs> we can, I can cure him. So, but, you know, so that, that, was the, that was the genuine audience member saying that. A, yeah, genuine. But then we couldn't put that to air because it kind of, again, it's like, it's, an, it's uncomfortable. It's too effective it's, a sting. Too, oh, my God. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult kind of working with networks sometimes. <laughs> What happens? And what do you? What are your plans then for the next project? Are you going to have any more editorial control over it? Is well, that something look, you think you'll ever honest, get? It, I did have I did have a lot of editorial control over Legally Brown. Like I um, uh, I wrote most of the things, and we had a couple other writers working on the show as well. So you know the ideas I, I guess I came up with, and then we would write them together. And the network would have they would edit certain things out, but what was left was still my writing, and it was still what I had in mind. But it wasn't. The entire idea, but that's what you know. You, you, when you when you're doing anything on television, you know that's kind of what you're getting into. Especially if you're a no name, like I, I, I had no runs on the board with television, so doing that show was just like a kind of gamble for the network, um, and it worked. And you know, we got we got nominated for for a Logie Award, which was just like a total surprise, and it kind of you know meant that we have some cred now, I guess, mm-hmm. in the, in, um, in the industry. 
Um, and so now people are trusting us with, with another project or developing another idea anyway, which is more of a narrative, I think. So less of a mixed bag. I think we, okay. we know what worked and what didn't work in Legally Brand. So with regard to the writing of Legally Brand, right. you said you come up with the ideas yourself. Yeah. So and talk me through that process. Are you just with a notebook in hand? Are you sat at a laptop just kind of trying to mm. come up with different ways you can... Well, kind of, the thing is like, so... Um, Legally Brown came about because S- the, the network SBS, which we'd had Salam Cafe air on previously, uh, were, were interested in me doing a show with them and they kind of presented to me several ideas and lots of them had kind of bits and pieces that I sort of liked but weren't entirely what I'd want to do. So I pitched to them an idea which said, hey, it's kind of like the Chappelle show format in that it's stand-up based with, with pre-taped packages but mm-hmm. I'd also do character stuff and sketches. Um, then, uh, yeah, so I worked with a producer who worked on Balls of Steel, who produced that in Australia. Um, so I said, I've got a bunch of ideas. And he said, some of those ideas are great, but, you know, that idea could cost like $2 million, Nazim, because that's a really, like, it's, <laughs> you know, there's a rocket, wow. But um, underwater, that's, that's a really, you know. Um, so, so, you know, once I understood the parameters, like the production parameters, like, then I could sort of go away and think of some ideas, um, just watch stuff, you know, I'd... I'd yeah, I'd bring an idea to the room and then we'd sort of work on it together. But essentially, uh, I had a notepad, walk around um, and just, if I had anything, I'd just write it down. Um, my notes section in my phone, um, I use all the time. Um, but really, yeah, sometimes I just have, I tend to write best when I'm when I'm upset or when I'm pissed off and frustrated about something. I think that's, you know, if I'm upset, I tend to vent and it comes out sarcastically. And that's, those sorts of things I think I find... I, I'm funniest, I think, when I'm a bit yes, annoyed that's, or frustrated. That's good. Both those examples we've said, they're all, you can see their basis in a sarcastic <laughs> response to yeah. something that's made you angry. Yeah. Oh, what should we do? Let's just move all the uh, yeah, Muslims yeah, to Tasmania. Hang on a minute. <laughs> right there. Well, I, think I think that's probably how it happened. Like, I think I, prob- I think I watched an early morning, like a morning TV show, and there was a, there was a presenter on who was talking about, you know, if Muslims just don't like it here, well, no one's asking them to stay. Why don't they do me? And so I just, I think it was sort of an extension of that idea to sort of just quarantine Muslims in an island. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of, you know, when I'm yelling at the TV, I, I can tend to, that's almost, you know, I, I know there's probably something in that frustration that could, yes. I could turn out on stage or on, on, in a sketch. Yeah, whenever I catch myself talking to the to TV. The TV. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, yeah, or, or, just, or just slamming my laptop shut, um, there's probably some comedy in there. Okay. Um, and how does that differ from how you write stand-up? Not and- really. Oh, well, the, yeah, the way I come up with, a, with an idea for, for stand-up or, or TV is the same. You know, if, if I'm upset or, you know, if I find it funny, I'll write it down. But TV, there are so many more moving parts, you know. For, for something to be funny on television, like I found, is really, it's, it's, it's really difficult. Um, and obviously I had so much help. We've got a, you know, I was working with people who, who had written television scripts before, mm-hmm. who knew about production, who knew about, like, editing and music and how all that works and in building and setting up a joke. Um, so yeah, for for a joke to work on television, like, is difficult, and and lots of the time it didn't work. We had a studio audience, so we could sort of see how that audience might react at home before it went to air. So we could cut stuff out. Okay. So we okay. showed the we showed the sketches to the studio audience. Yes. You know, I did stand up and said, "Okay, Check this out." Yeah. They would laugh at it or not laugh at it, and then we would go, eh, "That's shit." Let's okay. Go oh, okay. Oh my god, that bit was funny. I wonder how many shows do that because I've been I've certainly been in TV studios where they've played out bits of existing stuff, but yeah, I yeah. haven't then seen the finished article and gone, yeah. "Oh, they cut that based yeah, on the fact yeah. no one laughed." Well, that's the thing. Like that's why I think well, Legally Brown the, what could have been a lot worse if we didn't have that studio because we were able to see what would, you can you can literally see the audience. Whereas in um, lots of sketch shows, they they 
I just, you know, they're, ho- they're hoping that people at home are going to laugh. But you mm. can't see, you just don't know. Twitter's the only, Twitter and Facebook are the only ways of finding out whether people are laughing at your mm. sketches. Whereas stand-up, you know, it's completely different. You're on stage, if a joke tanks, you can save it, you can acknowledge it, you can just sort of move, you know, you can, you can work with it. You can respond yeah. immediately. Whereas yeah, television is just, you're just like yelling into the dark. And do you find with your stand-up that you're... Did you ever go through, like, a, a process of finding your voice? I think I... Or I, you just start... I'm, still, just... I'm finding my voice now. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I don't know where I'm at. Like, you're I, still the same guy now at the Soho Theatre yeah. who is kind of filling in the gaps in between the, uh, yeah, like, the projector breaking. You could probably see... My, you saw my show on Tuesday night. Like, there are bits there that I wrote, like, a long time ago. Because this is my first solo show. So it's a kind of, kind of the best bits, in a way. Um, and there's stuff that I've written recently. And so... So the older bits for me, I'm like, oh man, why am I still doing that? You know, I've got a, I, 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 I'm, I'm better than that now. Is there but, stuff in it from Fear of a Brown Planet? There's a couple. Well, the last show they did with Fear of a Brown Planet, there's a couple of jokes from that. That well, there's a few jokes in that that are still in. Okay, solo show because I, you know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you are you in a position where you're like you're busy making TV? Well, okay, so stand up takes a back seat. Well, it it did, and that's why I've only done the solo show now. Whereas you know, because I did two seasons of the show, so that was the last two years. I was I was pretty flat out, and I I couldn't focus on stand up. Whereas uh, this year, I just decided to lock in a tour and then force myself to write. So I sort of did that as soon as we finished production last year. I just kind of well I. I I, I was supposed to focus on Santa, but it took me months and months to, to get around to actually sitting down and just writing um, in a cafe. And I did that over about a week, to be honest. Just, But most of the time it was just dot points and, and then I'd get up on stage. I, I had some trial shows booked and I went up on stage with just dot points and then just sort of riffed and that's, I guess, kind of how I work my material, just okay. with like an idea here or there and maybe a line that might work and then I just try to find my way through that. Okay. But, um, but and yeah. you're, you're, and are you trying to find a line for it that suggests you're, you're trying to win an argument on stage? Do you think? Yes, yeah, so I think you... I, I kind of have a premise or like a you know a contention. I know what I, what I want to say. Yeah, what I want to the point that I'm trying to make. But um, getting there, I, I can't write that. If I start writing like literally writing it, it just becomes wordy and long, and it just it's not funny. Um, and you could probably hear it on stage if I've written something. It just sounds yes. completely different. Yes, if I've I got a great a... note last night from a preview I really? did where someone said to me, I, I could sort of see the words on the page. Really? Do you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah. oh, but I thought that was a really clever bit. Clever. And you're like, yes, it was. Well done. It was a clever thing. Yeah, Is that what we're trying to do here? I know, I know. Look, you know what? If you, if, you, if you were quoted, like if you were to write that down, it, it looks great on paper, but it's just not a state. Like, for me anyway, like I think Armour actually, like he's, he, I think he almost like, knows his stuff exactly before he gets on stage. Yep. And his style is completely different to mine. Like mine's silly and mm. kind of just cartoonish almost. And it's a lot of it's in the performance. And they can't really write that on paper. And when I do, it just it's completely different to my style on stage. Okay. So I sort of have to work it out on stage and see what the crowd's laughing at. And then, you know, you, you dig further there. or you, you So, uh, yeah, I can, only work, I can really only write on stage. What's your, what's your relationship to the absolute truth on stage? Are you because you've got sort of anecdotal yeah. stuff? You're yeah, telling yeah. stories very yeah, yeah, funny, yeah. and you're also making political points or like a mm. wider political mm. point. Do you feel that you have a responsibility to tell the story exactly as it happened, or do you feel that you can take poetic license with I mean, events? Uh, yeah, you, like all the things that I talk about on stage have absolutely happened to me, and sometimes I leave out the 
the, the darker bits, like um, like for instance that Asia story where I got. Interviewed. Uh, we've got to talk about this. This okay. I, this blew my mind. I mean, this I got interviewed by yeah, like the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, it's like a spy agency. That completely happened to me. In, so they rang you up out of the blue, <laughs> out of the at blue. work, and said, "Can we buy you dinner? Can we can we speak to you?" And I, I was also on the board of the Islamic Council of Victoria at the time. So uh, this is the thing. I was I've, I've been you know I was working as a tax consultant. I was still very much engaged with community work, and I was doing stand up. So I was a, kind of a representative for the community I used to do the serious media stuff and so, so so i had some profile as a muslim spokesperson so i think asia wanted to speak to me because of that yes um, okay so not because you were a random brown guy oh no, well the thing is i also was just like lots of people do community stuff but yeah like there was really no reason for them to interrogate me and to kind of like the thing is so i met asio and um Every time I do that bit on stage, people always ask me if that was even true. Did they hear me? What would they want to be? They kind of wanted to freak me out. They would bring up stuff about my family. So that when of, you say that you don't say the word interrogate on stage, you said the word interrogate there. Was it tougher than you're making? Oh, it, it was properly like I'm. I was genuinely scared about it. In fact, I didn't even. I've never spoken about this on stage. I only spoke about it on stage after I got legal advice because I wasn't sure if yeah. I was properly freaked. Out. I couldn't tell anybody about that conversation that I had with Asio until because they told you not to. They told tell me not anyone. to, and I. I couldn't even text anybody. I didn't I – t- on the way to, to the meeting, I actually texted a friend saying, hey, because I remember Australia was playing Iraq in the soccer qualifiers or they were playing one of these golf nations. And I just texted my friend saying, hey, bro, when you're done at the soccer, please just give me a call. Don't forget to give me a call because <laughs> I didn't want to let them know that I was – they said, don't tell anybody you're meeting me, that you're meeting us. Um, yeah, they just said, this is this has just got to be between us. And they said, you can, you know, if you want to tell someone that you're okay, you can call. They literally said you could tell them that you're okay, but don't tell them that you're meeting us. Cause, you know, so you would, uh, as you said in the as bit, I said in you'd, my bit yeah. you'd, you'd need to say, hey, mum, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, what a stupid thing to tell someone. So God. I literally just, t- I tried to tell my friend, I wanted to, to, tell my, to, to tell a friend at least that if I'm, to check to contact me, just at least, I don't know if he got it, but I was freaking out. And it was for me, I felt they just wanted to let me know that they were watching me. And subtly when I had conversations with other people, I found out that similar things had happened to them, that they didn't feel comfortable talking about these And is that is that a news story in Australia? Is that like, because to mm. me, that's like, mm. holy shit, that's like MI6 but the, coming to me yeah. and going, we just want to have a chat. Yeah. And you know, you'd think if you then found out that they'd done that to a lot of people, yeah. you'd want to go to the newspapers and go, is everyone cool with the idea that we're all getting <laughs> not exactly snatched, not yeah. exactly bundled into a car? Yeah. Okay, they're buying your dinner. They're just... But, it's, but that's incredibly well, it's, intimidating. Well, it's, I found out it was more common than I had anticipated when I spoke to lots of Muslims about it. And they, they were very, you know, nervously... Kind of, they gave you a round of applause and went, "Yeah, he's yeah. into the club. He, he got bought the dinner. <laughs> Welcome. Now you're a man." Yeah, and I was like, "It's like, but 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 I think they, they kind of they want to recruit Muslims to sort of snitch on the community. So yeah, it was it was weird. It was weird to to have that happen to me. Um, and so you took legal advice on whether or not you could talk about it on stage. Yeah, yeah. And what was the advice? The you advice got? was that I can talk about it on stage so long as I don't mention anything. Like that related to anything specific, like sorry, sorry, like a specific case or person. So if they were asking me specifically about Muhammad down the road who is plotting something, you know, um, to not mention that because that is, you know, that would be that could be whatever. conceivably some sort of security, threat yeah, security or... thing, yeah. But there was nothing like that. They they were literally just but asking. Did they make you sign anything? They didn't make me sign anything. But the thing is, it, the whole thing was just it was just like it was. It felt like they. Ah, like they were, they were, they were just trying to intimidate me. Like they'd say things yeah. about my parents splitting up, and they'd say they'd drop in things about my family life, like specific things, not like 
they won't ask me questions about that, but just to sort of let me know that they know about me, that they know things about my private life, to say, which freaks you. Like imagine if someone met you and said, so you, you know how your mum, you know, used to get abused by your dad? Like, um, like was that when you were six or was that when you were seven? And like just, just to sort of – just to tell you like yeah, that they know they're watching. you. Yeah, know they're everything. watching. That freaked the shit out of me. Like um, yeah, it was, just, it was just a scary – has there been any fallout from you talking about it on stage? Have you nothing, received any nothing. other? Have there been any double clicks on the phone? Any nothing? I think because I think now I have a bit of a sorry, but I have a bit of a platform that um, you know they can't kind of shut me up now. Now I'm, a, yeah. I'm actually a public person, whereas when I was um, a community person, my stand-up thing was something I did on the side, okay. and they probably didn't think much of it. But I was just you know I was a community. Now you've person. got a couple of series of your own show, and you could very easily do a sketch yeah. about that. You know, take yeah, some more legal advice. Yeah, really take the piss. Yeah, imagine if they tried to intimidate me. I could talk about that on stage. It would make some news or something. It would sure. it would become something that people would talk about. Whereas back then, I, I think conceivably they thought I would just shut up or just yeah or, or or just if they had a question to ask me in the future that that I would just tell them. Or, you know, I don't know. I'd cooperate. I, would, I, I wouldn't call. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever meet them. Like I met them, even though they told me that I didn't need to, because I felt that if I like, you feel yeah, like there's an element. They, you, they could disappear you. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's it. You can just get locked up for fourteen days with no lawyer and without being arrested for anything. So it's, it's, it's scary. I, I never thought I'd be scared because I'm a tough talking idiot. You know, like I talk tough to my friends. Like if, you know, if, oh, what did a cop pull you over? You just tell them that you know your rights, man. Like I'm that guy that mm. always gives. Freaking shitty legal advice to people that you know. <laughs> I took some legal advice you know, from Nazim. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, I can't believe I even met them because, but I, I was definitely intimidated. Before we wrap up, I just want to come back to a couple of uh, things about, more specifically about stand up. Mm. What do you actually? Here's, here's, a, here's a thing that I haven't had the chance to ask anyone before. Um, as a person of faith. Mm. What's the relationship between your your relationship with God yeah. and your work on stage? Do you yeah. do you have shitty gigs and bomb and you're able to come, <laughs> and you're oh able to God. come off and go no 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 <laughs> you're, you're comforted by yeah, your yeah. faith um, because I speak as someone with no faith who mm. is often jealous of other people's faith. I'm like God, it would be good to be religious. You know what? Be good I, to- I've got to say before I go on stage each night, like I. I yeah, it's uh, it's not cool to be religious in comedy. Like it's not like I mean, you know, like, lots of I think the culture of comedy is pretty atheist. But, uh, sure, but I, I say a prayer before I go on stage every night. Like I'm not a religious comedian. I, I don't go up on stage and make you know sell Islam or whatever. But you know, I if a gig goes shit, I just go well. You know, it's kind of the way it was supposed to be. You know, I can't. I should be happy that I've got a, a platform and an audience of people need to see me. If I'm if I'm feeling shit or if I've had a you know a crappy review, I just think about. You know, I guess religion has taught me to be grateful um, and to appreciate little things, but which you know, which is what a lot of philosophies will teach people. But I think I have a close relationship with my religion, so yeah, I, f- I try to see the brighter side of things. It's not always easy, obviously, because I'm a human. But but I, I am often reminded of things that my religion says about being grateful and um, being tested. And so if things don't go well, I just think, well, this is just kind of part of my journey. So yeah, I I tell myself these things, but often it's you know. I'm, I'm removed from being comforted because <laughs> I'm just in such a bad place. But you know, it's just life. So, yeah. I was just, I was just being quiet there to see where that would continue <laughs> I don't going. Know where that goes. No, it's interesting to to go. Obviously, uh, I'm often I'm removed from being comforted. That's a really fascinating <laughs> way of describing that. Yeah, because. It would be easy for me as a non-religious yeah. religious person to, to go, oh, I wish I was religious because that way no, there'd be but, someone there to carry the weight with me, you know. Be human, but like religion is a human pursuit. It's a human endeavour. Like you are, you know, 
yeah, you can believe in something that you think is divine, but at the end of the day, you are aspiring to those standards as a human, as someone that is not, you know, divine or is not God, you know. So we're all in the same boat according to my religion and according to most ideologies and philosophies and theologies, whatever. And so, atheism. And atheism. Exactly, well, exactly, atheism boat, yeah. is exactly that, about the human pursuit of things. And that's, that's what Islam teaches me, that really, well, the Quran and the Prophet, these are examples and, and um, doctrine which sort of advise you to make light, to, to turn these things into your life or to, to, to approach them. They're not going to approach you. You need to approach these texts and try to make meaning of them. So that's your individual, personal, intrinsic kind of pursuit. So it's not like God is guiding you or saying, come on, do this. I'm, you know, it's, it's all up to you. So really atheists and, and people of faith don't have that much... To, to differ on in terms of that. We're all doing our own thing. Um, yeah, things out of your control, well, you can argue where those things come from. And those things are out of my control anyway. I don't, whether you say that is godly or it's ungodly, whatever, they're out of your control. So mm. you can only do what you can do. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's a, I'm religiously informed to, to, to have those views, but that's, you know. I don't know. I don't know if I've answered your question. I've just talked a lot of shit. But, um, <laughs> not at all, not at all. I think that's a fascinating answer. Um, I like to ask a yeah. guest, if you were to review yourself, yeah. what would be your most honest, se- yeah. most searing review of yourself? You're obviously, you know, you're a happy guy, you're yeah. a positive guy, mm. you're a successful guy, you've mm. got your own TV show, you've got other projects in the, in the pipeline, yeah. and you're doing a show that you're passionate about, yeah. that you care about, and you're selling tickets. Yeah. It, it's, it's all going well. So what what what's the downside? You know, that think, you would give yourself, not that other people have said that you would. What what holes would you pick in your? I own? would say that I am someone that sometimes just goes for easy laughs, like knowing when the crowd laughs. Like you know, I'm, I, I can tell you know, I say oh, that bit was a bit crowd pleasing. Like I I I feel that I um I can do. Oh, I don't know how do I um. Sometimes I feel like I'm better than my material. And um, like okay. I'm smarter than the material that I that I perform on stage, but I just don't write that way often enough, and I and and therefore I don't take my audience to those places, or I don't I don't bring my audience along for that ride, you know. Instead, I take them on an easier or or a ride that I think is just more comfortable for everybody, and and yeah, I think I've probably got. Uh, I just need to. I still need to think about exactly my voice and what I want to say and who the hell I am on stage. Like, I, I literally have no idea still. I feel like I'm very, 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 very early on in my stand-up career. And I, I, that's which is why I feel weird kind of having a profile as a stand-up because I don't want people to go, oh, that's that guy, because I don't know who I am yet. I, I really yeah. am so young. Um, this is my first solo show. <laughs> but I've got some profile, which which is scary. So you know. Is that scary? Is that Do it's, you feel yeah. the weight of, like, don't screw up the profile? Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, well, exactly. I kind of want to just be that guy who's just starting out with no one watching. Like someone told me, I think it's probably a, a, fame, a, a popular quote, the worst, the worst thing for someone to watch is a comedian growing on stage. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm growing on stage and, and people are now watching me because of stuff that I've done and because I've got a profile. And I'd rather do that with no one watching me, maybe a few people watching me, and then when I've grown and I feel comfortable in my own skin, 
then you can come to my show and buy a ticket. But right now, you know, look, I'm doing my best and I'm, I'm putting on my game face and you fake it till you make it and that's what I'm doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I don't, want to, I don't want to end this interview without me going, I really enjoyed your show. Well, thanks, I think man. it's absolutely worth look, spending the money. I feel like I'm going to be honest on this podcast. <laughs> don't, don't talk us out of this because no, no, your no. PR will get in touch with me. No, and be like, what the hell did you let us no, no, We're talking to comedians, right? Like, and, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's, that's the reality. We're, we're, it's showbiz. You're actually presenting the best or the most convincing version of yourself on stage. Um, so, yeah, we can all relate. We're just, we're just all shit talking. <laughs> Some of us aren't. Some of us are comfortable with their skin. I'm, I'm, I'm learning to, yeah, to, to work out exactly who I am. Shit, this sounds like I've got freaking problems. I've got issues, but, you know. Maybe I do. I probably do. I should see someone after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is normally the route that when I'm dealing with people who aren't happy in their skin, happy in their faith, happy in their career, this just turns into a dark hour. Of, <laughs> no, no, I'm actually, I'm actually happy, but I just, you know, as a stand-up, like it's, um, people are always like, oh, what are you about? I don't know what I'm about yet. Like, uh, you know, I'm talking about certain things now, but I don't know what I'm going to be talking about next week. And, you know, right now I feel like I'm, I know how I write, but, you know, then I, I come across another way of writing or expressing myself and so you know it's hard I feel like I'm getting better every day and and now I feel embarrassed about someone that saw my show a week ago or two weeks ago because I'm like well check out what I'm doing now like you know so it's yeah you always I don't like watching my stand-up I don't like watching my comedy because it's just you know I think now I'm so much more mature comedically than I was last week last week yeah so <laughs> you know that's what that's that's what people you know, performers are all like that thanks man thanks man so that was Nazim lovely guy uh, thank you to him thank you to Soho Theatre for helping me arrange that and uh, you can get online and find his stuff on YouTube I'm sure you can find his website I should be I should be more organised about telling you how to find people on Twitter and how to find their websites I, I always try and make the effort to do that sometimes as you know I'm recording this on the hoof on the fly uh, and I don't have that information at my fingertips. I don't even have an internet in front of me. So I'm sure you do. Find an internet, use some of those search algorithms that people have worked very hard on and work out how to get in touch with and hear from Nazim Hussain. He's a brilliant guy. And Jude, you must check out um, his TV show, Illegally Brown. Uh, there's loads and loads of sketches from that online uh, on YouTube. And they are very, very funny. I was really knocked out by them, actually. He's got a real... Uh, a kind of sketch improv talent as well, bubbling away there under all under all that brilliant stand-up. So that's everything for now. Uh, thanks to Nathan Wood for co-producing the show. Thank you to Olivia Phipps for her occasional forays into uh, uh, at Podmin. Uh, she's the she's the Podblin you might remember from uh, earlier episodes. Uh, thanks to those guys, and uh, I will see you after. I'm currently at Glastonbury. Uh, this is a pre-record, which is why it's all over the place. No, 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 it's all over the place, and it happens to be a pre-record. Um, but I am currently at Glastonbury Festival, so if you see me there, come up and uh, and if if you're listening to this on the way, then I hope you get in. I hope the weather's nice and come up, say hi, press a couple of quid into my hand and say something cool. Speak to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.